Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fit for Hope. Find them at fitforhope.com, sign in, pick a cause, and motivate your way to reaching your goals. I am not doing this from prepared text. I'm actually speaking my heart. You know you have the resolutions. They fall apart, right? Yeah, just think of them. You're probably just thinking the ones right that you made a couple days ago. Well, this might get you over that hump and back into the saddle. What you got to do is you just pick a charity, you sign up, you set your goals, and the great community at Fit for Hope, along with family and friends, can help you do that. It's not like a, well, maybe if not even force you in, in a friendly way to make these things happen. I've actually set up a team. It's called Pat's Pack Fillers. Actually, Jake from Fit for Hope set it up for me uh, that you can join on if you want to and welcome be a part of uh, helping end family homelessness. That was the charity I chose when I signed up. I'm going to put my goals into fitforhope.com and see if we can raise some actual money to help families not live in their cars, not live in shelters, and, and actually have a warm, nice family place to live. So take a look. Give it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? You get motivated, and you help somebody in return. So go check out fitforhope.com. Let's do the podcast. Welcome to the podcast that has only one resolution, to get dropped less this year. Yes, this is the Pack Filler. Hi, you guys. I'm Pat Bulger in the studio. I hope your holidays were good, as good as can be. You still have family members that you love, or at least pretend to love. No fires were set. If so, they were put out very quickly. 
as a post that I recently read, actually it's from today's guest, uh, to tell us that, uh, and to remind us that after January 1st, all food has calories again. So we got to, hopefully you had some good food and um, you're ready to go at it again this year, right? I've been actually working hard this year. I, I, I did pretty well over the holidays. I think I maintained weight instead of gaining because I do tend to tip the glasses back a little bit during the holidays. I do. I always go straight for pumpkin pie. I always eat eat the good stuff. My brother-in-law made an incredible prime rib over the holidays. They live over on the coast of Washington, and I was able to actually do a couple things. I got to see an actual pro football game, and I know that sounds weird as an American here who has not seen a professional football game, and it was it was a great experience. It was fun. We did the whole tailgating thing. I had a couple IPAs, and the people surrounding my brother-in-law who does this all the time were just really hospitable, really great people. Not, you know, the stereotypical football fan you would imagine. These guys were all really cool, and it was a great experience. Um, being over there on the coast, I got to eat some incredible seafood, obviously. Um, crab, fresh Dungeness crab for um, Christmas Eve is is something that if you have not experienced it, it is a life-changing experience. So, So in other words... I was really glad I maintained my weight. And as I stated before, I've been using the Sufferfest as my base of training. This is not a pay, paid advertisement here, but I retook the full frontal test. I took it two months ago just to kind of get a, a set, you know, a numbers, a bearing, an understanding of where I am and where I need to build from there because the Sufferfest alters your training programs based on your strengths or your weaknesses, right? So I did the test. It was living hell. It is honestly the most painful thing in the world, but I did it two months ago to get an idea. It's not your standard FTP test, okay? It's got more things involved in it, and it makes it even more, (laughs) shit, painful. And so I did it again on the 31st, just because I wanted to see if there had been any improvements over two months. New Year's Eve, I'm thinking, hey, let's start the new year, see what our numbers are, and build from there. I did it again on New Year's Eve, and um, and again, this isn't a paid advertisement. Uh, my numbers went up 20 points across the board. My FTP, my sprints, uh, superpower, you know, I don't know, VO2, everything like that. Everything went up 20 points in eight weeks, um, and that's that's pretty damn impressive in my personal opinion. I'll, I'll let you guys know how things go in terms of continued improvement. Um, my schedule screwed in January, but I think I can make it work. It's not, it's, you know, it's the classic, you know, good high intensity, things like that. And it's maybe an hour plus per workout. I've included strength training and the yoga training into it. The yoga training videos are hard for me because I, when I'm in a, some strange pose, I have to crane my neck to look up to see the screen because Abby Carver's, uh, she's narrating through the video, but if you don't see her doing the pose, I, I, I'm a visual learner in that and I need to see what she's doing. Uh, the strength training videos are absolutely awesome. I'm doing a ton of core work and I got to tell you, side planks are almost one of the more painful things in the world outside of that FTP test or, or 4DP test. Um, so give it a shot, you guys. Let me know what you think. I actually got out to ride on New Year's Day this year. I got out there with Paul, CP, Dismount Dave, you know some of the characters from shows in the past. Um, we all went out and hit the road. Spokane, Washington is usually not known for that. When we tried to do a New Year's Day ride many times, it involves mountain bikes and studded snow tires and a very short loop just to say you actually did it. 
Um, 31 degrees for Spokane, 20 miles, mostly bare roads, dry roads, nothing too difficult. It was beautiful, you guys. It was a great way to start the year. I realized a couple things um, after this ride. Number one, my winter gear is way outdated. <laughs> I actually took my tights out of the drawer and pulled the elastic, and you could hear the elastic cracking like it's that old. Uh, my tights are coming apart. My shoe covers are ancient. They're old uh, Pearl Izumi neoprene ones, more designed for mountain biking. But um, they're the only ones I've got. I do have thinner ones, but when it's 31 degrees, you got to wear the big one. In fact, I had to bar ask CP to show up with some uh, electrical tape so I could wrap, wrap it around my cranks because the anal retentive bike owner and me, to be announced, I'm going to talk about that here in a second, I didn't want my shoe cover rubbing against the crank every every rotation because it would just rub away the finish. And, you know, you don't want things to look bad. So that's old. Uh, my winter jacket is basically as old as my tights. It is a direct homage, I think, to the early 1990s. If you see it, if you're on our Instagram, you'll see us all in individual poses on the ride. And I'm the one in the, the you know, bright sky blue it's an old Hinkapi kit. It was back when, when Rich just started the company, and I, I got an order through him. And it's a great jacket, but I think it's older than my son. And my helmet doesn't match. And I know that last part is a, a extremely, you know, first-world problem, but I want my helmet to match. So that's one thing I learned. My second thing I learned is Paul is a brilliant ride planner. You guys, after cresting the biggest climb of the day, it wasn't that big of a climb. We didn't do anything major. But Paul said at the base of the climb, he's got a surprise for us at the top. And being that Paul's the fastest out of all of us, I was like, oh, shit, he's going to put the hammer down and we're going to cough up a lung on New Year's Eve. No, he actually pulled over and he pulled out, uh, produced a, a small bottle of actually brilliant schnapps. Now, I know I shouldn't be talking about drinking and riding, but it, we had a little tiny nip. And I usually don't drink the hard stuff. But that was really tasty on a cold day, that little peppermint kind of a feel to it. And it wasn't the cheap crap, you know, you find in the liquor store and the bottom shelf. Paul buys the good stuff, and so it, it was delicious. And the third thing I learned, and this is the biggie, and why I didn't mention at the outset of the show, I took the new giant TCR Advanced SL2, that's a really long name, out for her maiden voyage. That long name I condensed down. I just call her Multaney due to her very specific shade of orange. And if you know what I'm talking about, you've been listening to this show long enough. And that color of orange, when it first showed up, I was like, whoa, that might be. And now I'm like, dude, I kind of like it. Paul himself said on the ride, he said, I, I've seen photos of your bike, but I never saw it in person. And now that I see it, it is Multaney orange. And he actually likes the color. So you guys... Here are my initial thoughts on this bike. It is made to go fast. It's super stiff, but in all the right ways, you guys. I, I've Carbon fiber has come a long way since I got my last bike, and every ounce of power goes to propel that thing forward, but it's not that bone-jarring stiffness. You, you know what I'm talking about, those old stiff bikes. Some of, those, some of the early Kleins and Cannondales, I remember the aluminum versions, were just bone-breaking stiff. But this bike actually feels great, and I felt strong on it. So denial just ain't a red river in Egypt. It, it actually felt really good. It's a good example of that. The integrated seat post on it is scary at first because, you know, you're like, <laughs> I cut it, and that's it. Um, 
but I think I'm just a couple tweaks away from making it perfect. Big thanks to the guys at the local bike shops here, Bike Hub of Spokane. They got me set up and dialed in. Great guys. And they had to cut the post for me to the length I told them. And I think I'm just off a little bit. And you can tweak the C post a little bit there too. So it's uh, it's great. Now, the bike is super quick. Downhills, I have to admit, scared me a little at first to, to get used to because the old bike isn't as responsive as this one is. So if you do go out and test ride one of these things, it's going to feel kind of quick when you're first out on it. But I can't wait until I get more comfortable with it. I know it'll corner like it's on rails. Uh, a great feel for parallel uh, 73 degrees head and C-tube angles. You, you know, usually that's kind of the standard when you get out there. But they, they've added some couple things, you know, chainstay length, things like that, really help you feel quick. I love the integrated RideSense computer into it. My geekness came out. I think I've talked about this earlier. Paired it into my phone, connected it to Strava. I have speed, distance, heart rate through a separate... I have a Wahoo ticker and cadence all dialed in. I think it even has an added alarm system. Should I wish to contact family or friends if I suddenly stop or in my case, get another bee sting in my throat or something like that. Um, I haven't played around with that too much, but it's a great way to integrate things in super quickly. Bike I'm set up in a tubeless, which is a great feature. Light, the wheels are badass looking and stealthy as shit. They actually sound cool. It feels like a pro race bike, you guys. Shit, it is a pro race bike. The only difference is I'm not getting paid to ride it. I'm on Shimano Altegra instead of DI2 or SRAM ETAP, which saved me a ton of cash. Um, but if you've ridden any of those, you know, second tier componentry, you're, you're, I think the only difference is a, a little bit of weight, maybe a half pound in the entire bike. And I saved a ton of cash that way. I love this new bike, you guys. I, with that in mind, I, I can't wait to set up some race goals. So it's time to probably start doing that, right? Speaking of goals, let's get to today's guest. If you're paying attention, if you're online, if you're an online cyclist paying attention, you know of Phil Guyman's efforts to knock us all down a peg and lighten the hell up. His books, his podcast, and a great video series shows a lot in common with yours truly, my perspective on cycling. I was really glad I could get him on the show. It didn't hurt that, you know, he knows what it's like to book podcast guests, and um, and he was very accommodating with that. And so let's do it, you guys. Phil Guyman on the Pack Filler Podcast. Right, you guys, today's guest has racked up over 100 victories in his professional career, including the Hill Climb World Championships in 2018. He's the three-time winner of the Mount Washington Hill Climb and two-time winner of the Redland Cycling Classic, just to name a few. He's now widely known for his retirement efforts, I guess we could call him, to entertain us all while he's crushing KOMs around the world. His videos, blog, podcast, and writing can be found just about anywhere. So let's welcome to the show, Phil Guyman. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you this morning? I'm doing all right. Thanks, man. Usually, I got to say, you know, I'm, I'm more of an afternoon to evening kind of a having a beer with a podcast instead of my coffee so this oh. might be a completely different process but we know oh, i have beer when i woke up this morning is that weird that's no 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 that's okay, no good. not a problem yeah, don't yeah. judge it's a first step but that's okay you know we'll talk about that in a different show <laughs> hey so as as many of my listeners know per usual i like to start with a little perspective and kind of get a background in terms of how you found cycling or how cycling found you so what's your story um man i so like as as a kid, 
we, we would just ride bikes on like family vacations. So that was sort of the, the beginning of it. It was like, we'd go to Jekyll Island, Georgia every summer for a week. Um, and just, there's like bike paths and stuff. Okay. So I think that was sort of my first, like, I like riding bikes and I like sort of vacationing or, or seeing the world via bike that, that always sort of worked for me. Um, but then, uh, when I was, when I was like puberty, I got fat. Like I didn't, I wasn't <laughs> exercising. I wasn't, uh, I was just a kid in Atlanta, not really paying attention and not educated about health or, or fitness. Yeah. Um, and I was more educated on computer games. So I, I put on some pounds and then, um, during, and then in high school at some point, I was like 16, I looked down and I was like, Oh shit, I'm fat. Um, <laughs> And, and I started riding my bike to school and, and I, and I didn't, I stopped eating. Um, so I was sort of just not, not the best way to, to lose weight. I would have yeah. like one meal a day, but at that age it sort of worked. Um, and, uh, so I just like ride my bike really fast to school, just like in jeans. Um, and then by the, and then after a year or so of that, I'd, I'd lost 40 pounds and, um, and I was kind of the riding had evolved from, you know, the, the reason, the way to get to school, the way to get to a friend's house is just like, well, I'm just going to go out for a ride. Okay. Um, and I started doing that. And that, that was all just like on sidewalks on a hybrid bike in the city of Atlanta. Um, and then I went to college at university of Florida and, uh, you know, didn't know anybody. So like, oh, I like riding bikes. I'll join the cycling club. Um, and that was, that was my, my foray into, into tights and road bikes. And I started racing, um, the next spring. So I was, I started doing like the, the college team group rides yeah. on at that time. It was a mountain bike with slick tires. I had like a stump jumper. Oh, um, I'm doing like the road group rides, you know, it's Florida. It's dead flat. Nobody could, nobody noticed. Yeah. Was, was it a, obviously it had to have been some sort of, sort of a accepting group to be able to kind of take you on when you really have no background. You think, you think roadie cycling clubs and sometimes you think of that elitist nature and some people are kind of looking down at you. I'm sure there's part of that. I think uh, that, I mean, it, it, it was a college club, um, but, but Gainesville, Florida has a, a really, at the time especially, had a really good cycling community. And the, the two coaches of the, the school team were just super welcoming. I mean, maybe that's why kind of, I, I always thumb my nose at the people thumbing their nose at people. <laughs> um, when, when I was, like the, all, all the rules, all the stuff like that, because to me, like it's very fresh of just showing up on the first group ride. Literally, I crashed on the first ride I did with the team. Oh, God. Um, and it's one of, you know, but I met three people on that ride who turned into like my best friends over the next, well, to this day. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think the, I, I was included pretty easily. No one, if, if anyone was sneering at me, I didn't notice. Um, or I didn't know, I didn't know to be self conscious because I was just having a good time riding my bike. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's certainly come full circle for me now of just like now, now I'm at a point where I could just, you know, if somebody's like, Hey, your sunglasses are wrong. I get to shut the fuck up. The sunglasses are fucked. <laughs> you don't mind if I cuss, right? I can't no, no, fuck. No. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Please. God. <laughs> yes. So did it, yeah. did it come quickly to go for, I mean, college is kind of a, I don't know, maybe, you know, kind of late, I guess, to start into it and to go from college into, um, at least domestic pro ranks that had to have happened pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I was, it, it definitely, it was, it was fast. I, so when I started, um, so doing those club rides, like I was, I was good at bike riding from when I started. Um, it was kind of the first thing I was ever good at, <laughs> uh, without having to try really hard. I mean, I, I, I rode my bike a lot and I trained that 
that winter, I just, I did nothing but ride my bike. I was, you know, I'm in college, I'm taking 12 credits. Um, and, uh, and there was a great team. So I just, I didn't miss a ride with the group. I didn't miss a workout. I really loved it. And then, so that spring I, I, I did my first races and I was just, I just won all the cat five races and I won all the cat four races. And then I, I got, I upgraded, uh, super fast and, uh, and it was, it was Florida. So it was like a lot of criteriums. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I was sort of able to, to move up pretty quick and, and then there was, you know, like a three year plateau, <laughs> but, or, or, you know, maybe a six year plateau, but, uh. But yeah, it was it was it was all in there. For a guy like you who kind of specializes in climbing, the U.S. cycling scene, at least from my perspective, probably wasn't the most beneficial. I guess we could say. Do you think? Do you see that in, in terms of you know somebody who's really specializes in climbing to be able to exist in a world that consists of mostly crits? Uh, no, and especially not in in Florida yeah. where I started. I, I didn't know. I thought I was a time trialist for years. <laughs> Um, like I just didn't know that there were climbs and I didn't know I'd be good at them. So like I was, you know, I was like winning the, the collegiate time trials. Um, but it wasn't until the, the middle of my, what year was it? My, my third year racing was when I I was on a team called Sakonet. So we started traveling more. We were doing like NRC races and I was, I was a cat once we're doing like the biggest races in the U S then. So that was like the tour de tuna. Um, we didn't do Redlands that year, but but some stuff on the West coast. So that was when I was like, we, you know, the, the pack would get up to a climb and there'd be 10 guys left. And I was one of them. And I was like, Oh, I'm a climber. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, that was, I was 21 then. Um, when I, when I figured that out and then I sort of, I stopped racing the track. Um, I was really into velodrome racing those mm-hmm. summers and, and, and criteriums too. Like I was able to, I couldn't sprint, but I could get away. Usually I was, I, I could win a criterium in Florida by, by that year. Um, with with a teammate or two helping out um yeah so and then going into uh the pro ranks was that always the objective or was it just kind of like i got my degree i'd better you know keep that in my back pocket (laughs) it was both i mean i i was always a a one step at a time person which looking back isn't the best way to do it like it it, it's good i think people should have like a long-term goal and then short-term goals to reach said long-term goal. Um, and, and I was just sort of like, Oh, I'm a cat three. I want to try and be a cat two. Okay. You know, I'm a cat two. I'm gonna try and be a cat one. And so once I sort of went, when I was on Sakonet, I was like, Oh, I'm like one of the best under 23 riders in the country and one of the best climbers in the country. Um, I should be able to go pro. And that was sort of at that point it was, you know, it slapped me in the face that it was like, definitely. Yes. I I'm, I'm good enough for that. Um, it wasn't something I'd really thought about before until it was realistic. Um, and that carried all the way through to once, you know, I'm a pro in the U S I'm like, Oh, I, I won Redlands. I should probably go to Europe. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, and that's, that's just me being an idiot. I think <laughs> speaking of finally going, getting to the pro ranks, uh, first team was through uh, jelly belly, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah. And, um, how you you know your book says it all the title you know pro cycling on ten dollars a day how difficult is it to be a domestic pro in the United States and and is it is it feasible? Um, no, <laughs> I think less so now. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, when when I it's it's hard to look at now. Um, when when I started, it, it was feasible to be a domestic pro, and there were there were a lot of guys making a career there. 
Um, so that was, you know, the guy who won, that was the era of the, you know, Lance is big in Europe. Yeah. Cycling is, is not big in the U S but bigger, like the sponsors existed and they were, you know, Toyota United and health net were two big teams that had, you know, a lot of riders each and are showing up at the big races in a trailer or, a, you know, trailers and buses like they're, they're, they looked world tour and their budgets were, were seven figures. Um, and, and the guy who won Redlands, you know, would make six figures, so like not, you know, not seven, but definitely like a, a living and, and a, a legitimate profession, um, in the U S at the time. And kind of by the time, so that, you know, that's 2009, that's when I'm on, on jelly belly. And, and I'm at that point, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't deserve a salary my salary was $2,000 that year. So then like oh, I was, shit. I was juggling side jobs and, and whatever, but there was a finish line that made sense. There was a light at the end of that tunnel. Um, and then sort of, as I moved up the, the sport sort of got proportionally smaller. Um, and, and those sponsors ran away. And so by the time I won Redlands in 2012, um, my salary was 15,000. And and the, the sort of the bottom had fallen out with all the the doping scandal and stuff like that. And, and these days, um, yeah, there's how many teams are we down to? And and even of those teams, like are any of them? None of them are really. They're all development teams. Like no one's paying their riders. They're all like grooming their riders to 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 sign to a team that could feasibly pay them. Except that doesn't even really exist anymore. Yeah. It's it's hard to watch. Um, it, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what's what's happening these days. Do you do you associate it with with the doping scandals? And is there a black mark on the sport? I mean, yeah. I think just if if you zoom out, the the only the conversation about cycling to the mainstream to like the the person the the girl I meet at a bar, um, yeah. you know, the, it's it's Lance Armstrong and it's doping. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's what it is to most people. You have to be pretty educated and into the sport to sort of know the curve that, that, you know, it's cleaner now and, and the names that, that are clean and that are, that are worth sort of putting your logos on it, I think it'd be, and well, obviously it's a very tough sell for teams and, and sponsors. And then sort of, I'm, I'm not sure like as, as the, you know, the teams suffer and then the races suffer so then if a few races go away, which has been what's going on in the U.S., then the teams sort of have less to sell their sponsors. They're like, OK, you know, like they used to say, you know, we're going to do 60 race days in the U.S. and this race and this race and this race. Well, if, you know, a third of those fold, then it's just less eyeballs you have to give to sponsors and teams have to be creative um, on, on sort of what they can sell and what value they can create. And and I'm not sure how they can do that or if they yeah. can do that. So you've you've been pretty open on your stance on doping throughout your career and um, even even after your career. Um, was it obvious for you at the time that the sport was not clean while you were racing? Was it just blatantly obvious? I've taught. I mean, I remember hearing from Andy Hampson when he was saying in his years where he would be, you know, guys who were barely struggling off the back one year are suddenly just you know big ring, one hand on the bars, kind of, and you're right. barely able to hold with them. Um, I mean, so w where I came up, um, there, I mean, there wasn't much like the, the fringe of the jelly belly kind of domestic pro cycling. I don't think I, for there, there obviously there were a few guys that were, that were doping, you know, on the bigger teams and, and that were at the top of the races in that era. But I think the U S during the EPO, the U, the U S was, was clean ish, yeah. uh, at least not as rampant, you know, like you could certainly be in the pack. I won, 
I won some national level races during that era, squeaky clean, you know, like there was, there was luck involved, but it could be done. Um, whereas I think if it was, you know, majority, it certainly wasn't that it wasn't, you know, a, a doped Peloton. It was a doped few, uh, at the front of the Peloton, I imagine. But, um, then there were certain moments where, where someone was obvious and you could see, <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember it's, it's funny. I'm like, I'm, I'm, working on writing something now. So I'm looking through old stuff I was writing and, and I, and I was saw by, from my first book, Pro Cycle $10 a day. There's a, there's a part where the first guy, the first time I ever saw doping, I was at the tour of the Bahamas, which is not a big race, but I was like pretty good. And I'd won the time trial. I've been racing against a lot of these guys. Uh, it was mostly like a Florida crowd. They, they flew over. Um, and went to break away with like six pros and then one local guy who I've raced with a million times attacks and he was, he just went away and he was going twice our speed. And, and I remember like, you know, I'm 19. I'm like, if I cut his head off, he would still win. <laughs> like I remember thinking that at the time I was like, Oh, that's what doping is. That guy's gone forever. Um, and it is a weird, it's a weird moment. And, and so there were, there were a lot of those as I sort of flashed through and then, and then, you know, obviously in, in Europe and you, you see it and you feel it, but, um, it's it's not I I missed the the worst of that era I think yeah. is yeah, okay personal opinion time is the era over or is the era just quieter I think if if there's if there's doping going on it's it's not rampant um, and it's not whatever they're doing isn't as effective as what they were doing forever ago yeah, um, yeah. so I base that on. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The... I was able to be in the pack again, clean. I, I, I won a couple races when I was racing in Europe. Um, it's not, it's, it's not, uh, based, just based on how I felt it's, I, no one was that much better than me. That was like, that guy has to be dirty, you know? Yeah. Um, there were people who were better than me, but I could chalk that up to, you know, work ethic and talent and starting after they were 19 in Florida. Um, and then there's a handful of guys that I know super well that I, that I know for a fact aren't doping who are very much at the front of the sport, um, in, in their moments, you know, like if Ben King won two stages of the Vuelta, Mike Woods came third at worlds and he was right there with Valverde. Um, you know, if Tom Squinch won stages of California, like it, there's, there's enough guys that I would, I'd cut my hand off if they went positive. Like it's just, it's, there's no way it's possible and people can believe that or not, but, um, people that, that I would trust that to, 
um, are, are squeaky clean and, and nothing in it for them to do. But that's sort of how you know. It's not like they don't have an opportunity or time. It's just like I, I know the people and they're not interested in it. Um, so like Ben King would rather lose and he's happy as he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't need, he doesn't need that win so bad to cheat, uh, cause he's a nice Christian boy from Virginia who's gotten further than he ever expected. Well, um, and, and to see some of the, you know, Ben is an exception to the rule, especially those wins in the Vuelta, but to see somebody who's, who's really strong one day and then to see the faltering the next day for me kind of at least restores my faith that, okay, this person's human. They're not going to be on their top every single day. Right. Yeah. Guess what? You don't recover from that. Yeah. Uh, right away and but ben was another breakaway a few weeks after that it's, it's just if you know him you know his style and but but if you've been on a bus with a guy for for you know a hundred hours um it's just i i know what makes ben tick and it's not like winning races is cool but what makes him tick is is you know christianity really <laughs> and friendship and and love and and stuff like that and like winning is sort of a side effect of him having a good life and and doing what he likes so I, I might to be, be be ignorant about this, but I always like to think that even at the local level, it's it's getting clean. But it sounds like in some cases, that's where some of the most violations are happening with, you know, masters and stuff like that that are out doing this stuff just to, fuck, I don't know, win a win a weekend crit or something like that. Do you think that that is where the trend is going, that these, you know, masters with too much money and time on their hands? I think it's definitely a problem that like, that USA cycling has, has taken some steps to address, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, if you, if you think about it, like the, you know, most, most people who do the local races, they're not doing it for, I mean, and this is literally 99% of people who race bikes are doing it for, for pride and, and fun on the weekends and, and whatever, like they're doing it for the thrill of winning. And a lot of them, you know, those are the ones with disposable income. Like when I was on jelly belly, like if I want an EPO, I can't afford that. <laughs> but, uh, but if you're, if you're like, yeah, if I knew where to get it, like who's going to pay for that? Um, but if you're, you know, if you're a local masters racer and you're competitive and, uh, and you know, you think cycling is a doping sport, I think it's, it's a lot more available and easier. Yeah. There's prescriptions for, for stuff like that these yeah. days. Um, I don't know what goes on, but the opportunity and the, and the availability would make more sense in that category. Uh, for sure. So, uh- just to kind of do a little subject change, what got you to the point where you were like, okay, I've been at the pro ranks, I've raced in the Europe, in the European scene and stuff like that. What was the moment where you said enough of this shit, I'm going to, I'm going to find something else to do? Um, well, I, I wish I could say it was my decision. Um, (laughs) it was, I, so in 2014 I was on Garmin Sharp and, and I, I, I'll, I'll say it. I raced really well. Like I, for a first year world tour at 27, um, I, I did awesome. I won, I won one race. I came second overall in a stage race. I, I tore up a lot of big races. Like I would go to the front and there'd be 20 guys left on a climb, um, which, which isn't bad. Um, I sort of just learned the job of, of controlling a race and being a pro and and that kind of stuff. Uh, At the end of that year, that was when Garmin merged with, uh, with Cannondale, the Italian team. Yeah. So half those teams both got fired and I was in the half that got fired. So I went to Optum. I went down to the U.S., back to the, the American scene for a year, um, met Mike Woods. And then we went back to the pros together on Cannondale Pack in 2016. 
Um, so there were a lot of moments in there. One from 2014, I knew like, A, I'm good. I deserve this job. I deserve to be here. I've, I've proved, I proved that that year. Um, so I felt very slighted when I got kicked out of it. Um, I sort of felt like I, I, I didn't get the, the fruits of, of my work. Um, so I, I wanted to go back and kind of experience it. But I also learned that year that like, okay, you're good, but you're not that good. Um, I, I learned how far I was from the front of those races, um, and, and basically accepted like, okay, you're not going to win the tour and whatever career I was going to have was going to be a mixture of like opportunism and getting water bottles and living a cool life, but not, uh, you know, not, not making a ton of money and not being super sustainable. Um, and then Mike Woods kind of slammed that home as a guy who'd been racing like three years and was already better than me. Um, <laughs> and we were the same age when we were teammates on Optum. So we went to Cannondale and, and that year I kind of just got, I kind of got jerked around by Vauders again and, and pretty much the end of that season. Um, I, I had a couple offers from pro teams, but it wasn't, nothing sort of made sense. And I knew like my trajectory wasn't up anymore. I was 30. Um, yeah. and I, I knew like, okay, this is, this is, this is your plateau. I can either like live this out as a status quo but the status quo wasn't, you know, racing that year. There were a couple guys that that there were a couple comas from crashes. That was the year everybody kept getting hit by motorcycles in yeah. the races. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was like this is legit danger. And I had a few moments myself where it's like, wow, I'm you know racing down a mountain in the snow. Uh, nobody cares about me. <laughs> this is this is super dumb. Um, and yeah, so at the end of that, it, it really just didn't. And and I had a I had a job offer at the time. Uh, to work at a sports agency in LA that, that was like, okay, that, that's what I should be doing. That's a lot closer to something a 31 year old Phil should be trying to move up. Okay. Um, of course that, that fell through. That's, that's the next part of my life story. Oh shit. <laughs> but, but at that point it was, it was kind of a no brainer. Like, okay, there's, there's not really, there were no world tour offers. There were pro team offers, but like been there, done that. Um, and, and I didn't, it wasn't a life I was interested in. So it definitely made the most sense to say, Hey, like, you know, it's, it's been real with bike racing, but it's time to move on. Yeah. Well, your writing has always been a part of it. I, I don't know what, when did that start and what brought, especially the, the concept of going, I can write a book, I can build something here. Right. So in, in college, um, <clears throat> I majored in English and journalism so, you know, my parents paid for that. <laughs> uh, so when I, when I finished, when I signed to Jelly Belly, uh, part of, you know, the way that a, I, I wanted to, you know, not waste my own time and my parents' time. And I do, I like expressing myself. I like telling, you know, my story and I like sharing sort of everything. Um, so at the time, and I also didn't want to waste my degree. So I'm on Jelly Belly and, and I wrote a blog for Bicycling Magazine. I just pitched yeah. them on like a weekly journal kind of thing. Um, and that was, I was also something I needed for income <laughs> at the time. So I, I think I got a couple hundred a month from, from bicycling. And then from there I, I, I pitched some articles to Velo News and, and I, and I wrote in, um, where else did I write? I kind of just wrote freelance for like all the cycling publications as much as I could. I'd have an idea. I, I pitch it to, you know, ESPN first. And then it just, if they were, if they say no, thanks, you just go down to the ones who pay less. Um, but, but I kind of just did that in my spare time. And then of course I saved all that. And then over, by the time I signed to Garmin Sharp, I, A, I had, you know, a cool ending for a book. Uh, I just signed a world tour, but I also had, 
just in, in just, I, I had 170,000 words of notes just in a word document of stuff that I'd been writing and, and wanting to write about. Um, so I was like, Oh, there's a book in there. If I cut out a bunch of garbage. Um, so basically the, the whole time it was the writing sort of helped fund my racing. And then, and then gradually like my expressing myself and putting myself out there became the most valuable asset for, for my own, you know, personal behavior and whatever else I'm doing that. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, is just, just telling my story and, and, and being out there for, for people who are interested in it. As somebody who also podcasts and knows how financially lucrative that industry is, um, that's sarcasm, by the way. Um, when did the the idea of the video series come about where you were like, let's put this together, let's go do this and, and let's see what happens? Well, so the um, when when I stopped, I had a job from I had a job offer uh, from the sports agency when I stopped racing and and that was supposed to start in January. So, and that, you know, I decided I was going to stop racing in, in August or September, something like that, that year, 2016. Um, so there was like a four month window where, okay, I'm still on, I'm still paid by a pro cycling team. I'm still on this roster until December 31st is how it works. Uh, I'm still a pro cyclist and I have nothing to do. So at that point, uh, I just started like, well, first I, I took a month off thinking I'd never ride a bike again. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, well, I hate this. Uh, so I started riding, I started doing, I just started riding with my friends and, uh, and I joined Strava for the first time. Um, and I just started doing the group rides and, you know, just my riding was social and fun, but also, you know, I like, I, I enjoy ripping a hill. Um, that's, that's deep in my soul. So, uh, so I started getting, this, this is, this is back in, (laughs) this is just a weird situation, but I started getting KOMs and it turned out that the, um, the local, in, in LA, there was a guy in LA who had every KOM in the city. Um, and I'm not exaggerating, like the top of every, from the bottom of every hill to the top of every hill. And LA is nothing but hills. Um, and this was all in Malibu, all these long canyons and all this just yeah, crazy yeah. volume of, of KOM from this one guy who it turned out was on Strava with an alias and had tested positive at Masters Nationals for various drugs years before. And then had just gone to Strava and he was at the time he had just been caught for, um, for selling EPO on the internet. Shit. Um, so the entire, the, the, the Strava scene in LA was pissed and I was ignorant of all this. I, I'm a pro. I don't care about Strava. Like I'd never been on there. Um, I had no idea what I, I kind of just, I think all pros sort of laugh at Strava cause it's like, you know, it's, it's big fish, small pond. And all, I think all pros know, like they would kill this if they cared, Yeah, um, which is completely true. Um, and I think, and I was the first one to sort of demonstrate, okay, you guys think you're good. Um, but I, I found myself in this situation where I, I was the only guy in the city who could take this one dude's KOMs and everybody wanted his KOMs wiped off the board. Uh, so I just started doing that. I had nothing else to do for four months. And I like, I would go out, I'd rip a KOM and then I'd ride easy the next day to recover and I'd do it again. Um, and I did that for months and, and like cycling tips or an article about it. They loved it. They've been investigating this guy. And, and sort of posting his his antics, uh, the, the the Strava doper, whatever he was known as. Um, so they were following that story, and I was kind of the end of that. And and so my Strava account sort of blew up. I got a bunch of followers there. People really enjoyed seeing a pro actually like posting their their rides and going for local KOMs because nobody had done that before. Um, and I think Strava as like a platform at the time, people were 
you know, it's, it's a social media platform. It's not a race, but a lot of people were just treating it as a race and treating it and, and getting their ego a little too involved. And, and there was a lot of drama. And I think I was kind of in the right place in the right time to, to knock a lot of people down a peg. Yeah. Um, and, and people really appreciated that. So, so that's part one of, <laughs> of, of the, of the show idea yeah. was just, there being a hole that, that I was sort of filling in the, in the cycling world that, that nobody else was available for. Um, and that I enjoyed. And then the other part was I, I'd been, I'd been, I I live in LA. That was an accident, but I made a bunch of friends who kind of are in TV and I'd had this idea years before for a travel show about cycling. Um, and I, because I was a pro cyclist, I was sort of able to get one meeting everywhere. Um, and so I had an agent at United Talent Agency and I was, you know, pitching production companies. And it was actually like almost on TV a couple times. <laughs> like wow. Hollywood is, a, is, I thought pro cycling was a mess. Uh, <laughs> Hollywood is not, yeah, it's just crazy how competitive it is and, and how just everybody says yes. And then, and then it's like, oh, wow, I'm on, like, I had a show on A&E and then it was gone. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, uh. So that that was sort of how that all went. And it, so there's a point where I have this I had these sponsors coming to me like, hey, look, your Strava blew up. We we want to be a part of this. And I was like, I don't even know what this is. Um, yeah. But what if I make a YouTube show about it? So I kind of just combined the two things that I'd been sort of cooking. And I was like, all right, then, you know, Hollywood won't make my show. I'll make it myself. Um, and and that's we're on year three and it's been going awesome <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting to do so much cool stuff yeah. and it's, it's crazy how it's crazy to me. Now I'm looking back like how, how limited I was to do anything cool when I was racing because you're supposed to be racing. You're supposed to, you, you're like, I was being crammed into this square hole as a round peg or whatever yeah. the saying is. Um, and, and now I'm kind of like liberated from this scene that the conversations about doping and it's, you know, the, the joy of suffering and the tour de France and all this stuff that like, I look out, it's just kind of geeky. And now I'm just like, I'm riding my bikes for fun on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it, the thing is like, I, I know I have, I have numbers, like it's way more valuable to sponsors than, than anything I did when I was racing as a pro. And then anything like you can look at the metrics of there's actual pro teams who aren't creating as much value as I am just by like not being in that system of like the broken UCI pro cycling, you know, races folding garbage. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's not like I could have stopped before, but it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's been, it's been a blast. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with, with the direction (laughs) everything's going. And I actually like turned out like I had to quit. I had to give up on my dream to actually achieve what I didn't know was my dream, but it's way better. And all my pro friends are jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you were talking about Strava and the KOMs and things like that. And I, I immediately saw my Strava feed and uh, the, every town has that guy who you are pretty sure is putting his bike on top of his car, setting start on the Garmin and driving up the hill or something like that, because there's no right. way anybody could get all those. And, and you're out there, I mean, you ran into this and this is something that has, has flourished for you, but how are, how are they chosen? How are towns chosen? And uh, do you find that every single town seems to have that same guy? Well, once I started doing it, I, I don't think there's that much cheating on Strava. And I think like LA was the, was the, the base that I think that was the first, that yeah. was like, I, I was conveniently located in the one spot where the worst of it was going on. 
and it was all on climbs and I was the only guy who could beat it. It was a perfect, you know, scenario for me. Um, but, but I think, you know, that I guess the, the thing is people, I, I think it's mostly big fish, small pond stuff where, where like everyone, you know, if you're the best in your neighborhood, you think you're the best in the world. And like, I know because I was the best in Gainesville, Florida. And then I got up to the world tour and I got my butt kicked. Like there's just, the level is high and, and a real like a credible ability is out there. And like, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember racing the tour of Beijing and it was, it was among the best I raced in my entire life. I was like ripping up the climbs and, and, you know, Dan Martin won a stage in, in large part because of me, uh, working for him on the mountaintop finish. And, and then, uh, and then I went back to to Optum a couple months at our training camp, and and Mike Woods was kicking my butt up these hills, and and I remember telling Mike Woods, I was like, dude, you're good. He's like, yeah, I know, I'm pretty good. I was like, no, man, like you don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like you're really good, <laughs> like you're really really good at this because I'm really good, and you're <laughs> way better than me. You make me look like crap, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and, and there's, and I think like, that's just the reality is like, there's levels of ability that, 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 you know, it, it's, it's years, it's decades in, in a lot of cases, but it's, it's out there. And I think like the people who are, who are sort of hinging their, their self-esteem on, or their, their ego or whatever, or their trash talk on a local KOM, you know, it's, it's a, that's a, it's a flimsy platform to stand on. Um, and, and everyone should just be realistic about who they are and, and what they can do and be happy with, with doing your best. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go to a bike race, go to a bike race and it's going to hurt. Is the, but is there a process in deciding where you're going for each specific oh. season or something like that too? Yeah. So it's mostly now, like once I started doing it, people were requesting it. People were saying, I want yeah. to see what you can do on my climb on my local town. So it's mostly, it's, it's crowdsourced. Um, yeah. People would vote on my Facebook page of, or they would just message me of where, and there's some that like I'm into, um, but, but for the most part it's, yeah, people are like, ah, oh, you haven't done this one yet. And I'm like, yeah, that one looks cool. Yeah. Um, so then I just sort of look for an opportunity to get to those places, but mostly, yeah, it's like people literally vote on where I'm going to show up next. And, uh, and I jump on a Southwest flight, uh, with, with a camera guy and do it. So that's, that's been, that, that's, it's been so cool. And that, it's like, people are into it. So. And then when I get there, they kind of sometimes they show up and, and ride with me or, or watch um, or we have a cookie after. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but how did the whole chasing Cancellara thing come about? Um, yeah, whatever. The, uh, <laughs> there's, there's more news on that coming. Oh, uh, shit, really? But, okay. Yeah, but it's fine. <laughs> um, we're, there, there, you know, there might be a round two of, uh, of chasing really? Cancellara at right. some point. We're, yeah, we're cooking that. Okay. But the... Um, you know, I, uh, I, my, my third book, uh, is called draft animals. And I wrote that when, when I was retired. So I, I kind of, when I, my first book was a happy ending. I, I joined the world tour. Yeah. Then, you know, two years later, I'm like, Oh, the real, here's, here's the real thing. Like I, you know, the world <laughs> tour isn't a happy ending cause you're about to get your butt kicked. <laughs> so, so now I have to write a book where, you know, you, you lose your fiance and your dad dies yeah. And you lose your job. The Empire Strikes Back of cycling books. Yeah, I had to write the real part because it's irresponsible to leave it where it was. <laughs> if that was the only word I put out there, like, oh, I'm telling all the kids to race. That's, uh, that, that's a mean thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell them what, what the truth is. So so I wrote that. And, and there was a part where I'm sort of like, you know, so 
I'm, I'm talking about myself going to Europe and that was, you know, suddenly like I'm, yes, I, I was, you know, one of the best guys in the US. I'm brought up. This is a big honor. But now I'm like in the room and the whole thing was I was going to be the first guy and I was, I was the first guy who was super loud about anti-doping and who had a clean tattoo yeah. and was running around all the dopers. And I kind of made Vodder sign me because of that. Like the, the Europe needed that American anti-doper to sort of believe in the mission. Okay. I think, I think like the, the fans in the U S needed me to get there. Um, and, and I was kind of just positioned that way. Um, so when it happened, suddenly I'm in a room with all these guys who I'm supposed to hate. Um, and I was kind of like, in the book talking about that, we're like, okay, now, you know, I, I got here via Tom Danielson. I'm in a room with David Miller. It's yeah. Jonathan Vodder's made my dreams come true. Um, and I'm in a race with, so I was sort of giving context of, of, okay, now I'm in this world full of dopers and how am I going to make peace with that and reconcile that? And in the context of that, I talked about like, you know, and, and this guy who runs this team and because it's so entrenched, I was explaining how like, you know, Vodder's was a doper, but he runs a team and there's no getting him out of there. And I wouldn't necessarily think that's the right thing to do because everyone was doping. So what are you going to do? Just clean the slate. Um, just pro cycling had been such a mess for so long. So I was just giving a history of, of that level of mess and how those people are still around. And one of them I said was, you know, there's, there's one guy who, uh, who looks to me like he had a motor, yeah. you know, here's what I heard and here's what I saw on, you know, a YouTube video with 4 million views or more than that. Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a fringe conspiracy theory and it wasn't, and I wasn't the first one to sort of point it out, but I was like this, you know, this looks like this guy had a motor to me. Um, and you know, it was a slow news week and the, the, the cycling <laughs> media, uh, you know, makes Trump look really right about the fake news sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and full on, like looking back, I should have sued cycling news <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, because they, they cost me money and they, they deliberately misled in headlines. And the, the headline was Phil Guyman accuses Fabian Cancellara of, of using a motor. Um, when the reality was Phil Guyman repeats an accusation of, you know, Phil Guyman explains that yeah. this is the thing that's out there that, you know, wasn't my accusation and I didn't have any new evidence and, and it made me look really bad. Um, and I, I wasn't writing my book to sling mud. I was writing my book to tell a story um, and, and they sort of reduced what was my life's work and something that I was really proud of. And, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book is a lot of work. You're sweating and crying, uh, you know, staying up all night, you know, drinking coffee at the diner on, on Riverside here yeah. in Toluca Lake. Like <laughs> it was, uh, and, and it was sort of reduced to a, a, a doping tell all, um, or, or something, which it just wasn't. Um, but, but Cancellara's, you know, he read the headline as people do and, and his lawyers read the headline and my, and they demanded my books be removed from shelves. And then someone looked at it like, oh, he didn't even say that. Yeah. Uh, Cycling News said that and, and everybody else repeated that. Um, meanwhile, like I'm getting death threats and, and, um, and I'm losing sponsors left and right because I look like a jerk on, you know, in front of the, the cycling world for, for a week and a half. Um, oh, but, at, but at some point, you know, he... So, so Fabian sort of like, okay, I don't know what to do here. I can't sue him. It'd be stupid to sue him. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and make light of this. Uh, so he challenged me to, to race at his grand fondo. Um, and then in, which was just him saying, I want to try and get some free media attention for my grand fondo. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sort of like, well, look, I exist on YouTube. I literally like I'm, I mess around. I'm, my goal was to mess around on bikes for a living. I hadn't quite achieved it yet, but I was like, this sounds like something that would, that would entertain the internet. Yeah. 
and so I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, look, what if I take you up on this offer? I'm not going to bring up the motor again. Uh, we each pick a charity. We're done. We're done. We're both done racing bikes. Like we're both trying to do the same thing of just exist post racing in a world. We both bonded over how bad cycling news in the UCI was. That's <laughs> we, yeah. we joked about that for an hour. <laughs> um, and, and it's like, why don't we just stick it to all of them and make something great out of this attention? And, uh, and, and we did. So we raised $40,000 for no kid hungry. And I went to his fondo and, and raced him up a hill. Um, and, uh, and, and we're, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're friends now, but we're, we're allies and we have, we have a lot of the same goals and, and we can, we can move on. And it's been one of the weirdest things in the world, but, uh, but I, I, I love that this is my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I remember seeing the Twitter banner and then I, you know, I don't want to give anything away. So people actually go and watch the videos and things like that. But the conversation at the finish did seem a little, I don't, I don't know if it was awkward or something like that to use the word, but I was wondering how that all ended. And if you guys are on a, you know, on a, at least amicable parting or if you're still communicating, but it seems like you already answered that by saying there's yeah. a part two. I think, I, I think it was, it was, it was definitely uncomfortable because we both knew the genesis of it was like something deeply, <laughs> deeply personal and rude. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, like I, he, he came from a generation that like I can't understand, so I can't exactly judge, but I can still comment and have my thoughts on. Um, but uh, and, and I think like he sort of understands me and where I came from and 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 how I would feel that way. And I think uh, we yeah, we're we're not going to. We're not going to he's not coming to my wedding, probably, you know, <laughs> if I ever get married. But um but I, but I think there was there was definitely a clear thing there of like okay we can do this thing it was it was fun it was it was good attention for for both of us it was doing the right thing it was yeah. a lot of people smiling and a lot of people laughing and uh, and a lot of kids getting fed there was a lot of good to be done and and the cycling community embraced it what was really funny what <laughs> the reason I'll never forgive the cycling media other than cycling tips uh, is is a great platform and they're responsible and they respect their readers. Um, and, and Velo News and, and Cycling News. It was so funny. It was like they were the ones who really stirred the pot on this whole thing and kept recycling it in the news and kept like making me look bad and, and thinking of finding another sentence to, to requote. And frankly, they like omerted me, like the, yeah. which is, you know, the, the, you do not talk about these things, which is as journalists, you, you should pretend to, to be pro truth and pro history and, and, you know, pro writers speaking out. Um, but, but when there was a chance for clicks, they all, they all turned on me quick. And by the way, like I wrote two books through Velo News yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for them for a decade and they flipped on me. Like Fred Dreyer published a thing, just bullet pointing the, the things that I wrote that out of context that could have been the most offensive and reduced my book to like absolute mudslinging. And I'll, I'll, to me, that's just like one of the most pathetic, sad moves I've seen in, in journalism ever. Um, but certainly in, in cycling and, and they should all be embarrassed. Um, and, but what was funny is when, once it became a really good thing, once it's like, and there's a hundred thousand people are watching it on the internet yeah. and like, there's undoubtedly there's, there's the wall street journal wrote a page about it. Um, but, but Velo news and cycling news never touched it again because they were embarrassed. Once it became a way to feed kids and be cool, they're not interested. <laughs> they were they were interested when it was mudslinging. But I remember I was like, hey, you guys, like, hey, here's the latest on this thing. Like, it's a great story now. People will love it. They will click on it. And and I've already like raised four hundred thousand meals for children. 
uh, how about you help out here because you started this um, and crickets. So really? that, that's that's what they're all, you know, and they're rightfully ashamed of it. But um, yeah, that's that's where it kind of moves on to. Wow. Um, and I'll and, and it sort of taught me like, you know what, you don't need them. You don't need anything. The, the real world gets me. And um, and I'm on YouTube now. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running low on time. I know I probably am, but uh, tell me how it how it is being able to stay on top of your form and years of staying uh, stay after years of the racing and uh, at that high level. And it, is it just simply the love of the bike, or is it what is it? What keeps you going? Yeah, I love riding my bike. It's it's pretty simple. Um, I don't. There's there's certain. I still train. I'm, yeah. I ride more than I train. So I have to trick myself into like riding super hard, but I love doing the group rides. Saturday, yeah. Sunday mornings in LA, there's like a bunch of really fast dudes who meet early in the morning and just we just tear each other up for an hour. Um, I, I like I I really enjoy that, and that's just that's just a great workout twice a week. And then we'll go do the canyons. Like just riding in the mountains and the hills around LA is is literally the best. Um, I I just that that's my network, that's my community here, and and that's how I like to spend my time. Um, and then, and then, yeah, like going for, going for KOM still, I, there's a little bit of me, a, like I still have the legs, like I'm 32. Um, so I'm retired, but I, I've still, I guess letting, letting my fitness go, I kind of have started to see as doing a disservice to the work that I put in all those years of like, you know, it's, it's, it's my health, but it's also like, I train really hard to be fast at going up a hill and, and why should I let like Jonathan Vodder's firing me? determine that I let that go, you know, like why should I stop being my best because somebody else says they don't need it anymore. Um, so I've kind of made something of it for, for myself and, and it's, it's, it's more, it's okay to put the work in. It's easier to train when it's for me and when it's not for, for a $50,000 a year job where I risk my life every weekend. Wow. Okay. Um, And it's for my audience and it's for, you know, my, my friends and, and people who, who enjoy my antics on the internet. Um, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned group rides and things like that. Um, I, I don't know about where, what it's like for you in LA, but where I am, um, it seems like we, we, and we touched on it earlier in the, in the interview talking about the state of cycling in the U S um, races seem to be dwindling. Pro teams are definitely dwindling. Is the future in the United States, in your opinion, are we just going to be all fondos and gravel races here someday? Or what do you think the state of cycling, especially road cycling is? Um, I don't know. I think, um, the, the American scene is, is strange. I, I'm, I'm surprised at how, at how much it's fallen off to be honest. Um, and I don't really know how to correct that, but I, I think that the, I think that everyone needs to zoom out and be creative. And, uh, I, I think that, well, the, the reality is the races are small. Like it, the, the stuff in the U S is kind of a vacuum. It's yeah. just, it, Literally, it's not like sponsors, I think, are able to crunch numbers now. And I think they're they're They really want to return on their investment from from anything. And and I've known that, like, you know, my I exist on sponsors now, too. Um, and, and I have to prove my value to them. And I know, like, OK, this is this is what I this is what I I ask for someone to pay for a year of support. And this is what they sell with my coupon code. So that's fair. Yeah. And, but like, but if you're, if you're Jonathan Vodders, like, I don't know how you sell that to education first for $4 million. I don't, and I don't know how that's sustainable because I don't think they're getting the returns. Um, and I don't think they're, I, I don't think they're really doing the work that they should 
um, on, on any of those teams to, to kind of create that value. And I, I just, I was there and I felt like I was often the only one kind of hustling. Um, there's sort of an entitlement of like, I'm pro, you know, just give me stuff when, uh, when it's, you know, they, they want, they want to do it. And I think like a lot of brands are, are seeing, I, I mean, I've had a lot of brands who are like, man, these, these, I sponsor these pro teams and they're, they're really hard to work with and they don't give us any access. And I'm like, yeah, here's a Dropbox full of free images for you. Just credit the photographer. And, and here's, you know, I'll post this coupon code and you'll get a literally direct return. That's three times what I'm asking you to pay. Um, and it's, it's a lot easier. And, uh, and and yeah, so I think they're all going to have to find some version of what I'm doing or do cooler shit and be more, be more inclusive. I think like, I realized when I was a pro, I was only riding bikes with people who got their bikes for free or got paid. I only rode bikes with pros. (laughs) Yeah. So, so if I wasn't on the internet telling people about my bikes, nobody would know like, Oh, this is, this is why Phil likes this, you know, water bottle or seat bag or whatever. Um, and now I ride with people who buy their bikes, which is surprise way more valuable to sponsors. Um, even if I'm a little bit slower, even if I'm not, you know, well, I wasn't winning races before either. Um, but I'm not even racing at all now, but, but I'm kind of among the people and I'm winning the group ride, you know, with, with this kind of tire people are like, Oh, what's that? Um, yeah. and, and I think, you know, and I'm, and I'm telling that story and, and I'm just kind of a regular dude now who happens to, to get his story out there. But um, yeah, I, I think pro, I think pro cycling is going to have to figure that out, and I think the bike industry is going to have to be a little more realistic of what they're trying to sell and how much money they're expecting to make just in the internet era. Um, I was I was looking at um, <laughs> I was looking at, at Cannondale's website yesterday, and and if you just look at it like if you if you zoom out and you're an alien who doesn't know anything about bikes and you just look <laughs> at their selection of bikes. It's just like, what is all that? Like, why are there, there's so many pages they have, you know, if you look at their, their mountain bike page, there's, there's like 30 bikes that are, that, you know, there's, there's a category of cross country and then there's, you know, enduro and then there's trail. And I don't know the difference between any of those. Uh, they all look the same to me. And I was a pro cyclist. Uh, there's, and then there's, uh, like fitness bikes. And one of them is called the trail, but it's not in the trail category. (laughs) And it's just like, like, and I look at him just like, guys, Steve Jobs would throw up if he saw this. And what are you doing? And like, stop trying to invent new categories. People just like, let them go ride bikes and have fun. Don't make them think they need 10 bikes. Like you're not going to sustain yourself if you're, if you're like, oh, you know, this is, you guys all need a cross bike and a gravel bike. Uh, cause I, I hate to tell you, like you could do the gravel race on a cross bike just fine. (laughs) Like it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um, like it and all, all that stuff. I think like everyone needs to, they're going to, and they're going to have to shrink and it's going to hurt, uh, or they're going to have to figure it out. And I think like the bike shops are, are going to, well, it'll be easier when, when brands start figuring their stuff out for, for bike shops, but it's, it's a weird time, but I think the consumers are getting smarter and, uh, and, and that's going to be an interesting curve. Yeah. So of all the places you've traveled to thus far, um, and you can't, you can't answer with your hometown, uh, where are some of your favorite places to ride? The, I mean, Girona was, well, the thing is I ended up in LA because it, it, I do, it's, it's perfect here. Uh, weather is the most important thing for riding a bike, uh, and enjoyment of it. And, and I, I don't like leaving my hometown. Um, and it was my hometown. I found my way here and I, I'll be damned if I have to leave. Um, (laughs) But, uh, the, the rides, the ride that I think about the most is, uh, Mauna Kea. 
Um, so that's on the big island of Hawaii. Everyone thinks Haleakala is the biggest climb yeah. in Hawaii, but Mauna Kea is like 2,000 feet bigger. Um, so this it's a volcano, but it was it was a ride I did. It was a, it was my last day as a pro. So it was it was uh, New Year's Eve, 2016, and I had just met uh, Kevin Sistrom, the the founder of of Instagram. We were riding it together. Um, so it was like a weird, like emotional day for me because it's my last day as a pro and i just i just ripped that climb and it was it took five hours oh my god and yeah i got the kom by two hours <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you know who else is doing that uh but there's a part where so you, you you dip your bike in the water at the beach um and then and then you rip up this thing and at the top you know so it's 70 degrees at the bottom at the top there's a wall of snow. Oh There's uh, what's it called? The Keck Observatory. Is that what it is? I could that could be the wrong observatory. Um, that's not Mount Hamilton. I don't know. There's a lot of observatories on the top of mountains. I need to get it straight. Then <laughs> um, there could be two Kecks, but I think it's Keck is the top of that one. But the uh, there's a wall of snow and and it's just you're at fourteen thousand feet and it was dirt. The last like four miles were dirt. So I was like, I thought I could ride it. The guy who was Alex Candelario was a former pro and he he does tours there now. So he was sort of doing a follow car for me and Kevin. And uh, he was like, Oh dude, you're gonna need you know a mountain bike for that dirt section. Oh my god. And I was like, Shut up, bitch. I'm world tour. I'll just have my twenty eights <laughs> and my twenty eight cassette. And and fast forward to me like at 13,200 feet shouldering my bike running up this gravel thing because it was not at all rideable and it was like 20%. Um, and I got through, so like you get through the dirt part and the last bit, I need to do a video here just because it's so hard to describe, but the last bit is paved again. Um, and I remember like getting through, I never had to do this in my life. I've done all these stupid hard training rides and races and I had, I got up and I had to stop and sit on the guardrail just and sit for five minutes. I ate a cliff bar. <laughs> and just like, you know, I just can't keep riding right now. Um, and then I got to the top and it's just, there's something about, there's, there's not a lot of rides like that. There's not a lot of mountains like that. And, uh, and that was sort of part of the like, oh, there's a lot of cool shit to do on bikes that, that isn't racing and, and there might be a future in it. Um, and, and that was, that was like my farewell to pro cycling and my entry to just like, doing cool shit and pushing myself for, for its own sake. Um, and, uh, yeah, Mauna Kea, it's a, it's a super cool day. Okay. You and I have obviously different ideas of what a great ride is like, <laughs> because I'm a, I'm uh, if, if somebody called me a climber, they might as well just, you know, they might as well be blind because when they look at me, you know, I'm not going to get that. But, uh, that, that sounds like uh, a horrible five hours, but probably a beautiful one once you finish it. And I was, cause I was with Kevin, I was like Instagram living a lot of it. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it was, it was also like, obviously like it was, it was, it was just an emotional point for me. It was my, it was my, I'm going to empty my entire tank of all the years that I put into pro cycling. And, uh, and I'm just going to empty down this one ride with a, you know, with a, a sleeveless Hawaiian Jersey on. Um, yeah, it, 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 that every day I think about that ride. Oh man. Well, Dude, seriously, thank you for coming on to this. I know you probably know what it's like to line up podcasts and try and get people who want to come on to your podcasts and and all those types of things. But um, Phil um, is PhilTheThrill.net probably the best way people can find everything you're doing. Uh, yeah, all my socials at Phil Guyman, uh, YouTube is the Phil Guyman Show, worst retirement ever. Um, I got a couple more videos coming up this year. 
um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too hard to find if you just Google me. I have a podcast as well. Um, we're like 30 episodes or something in over a couple of years. So okay. it's podcasting's hard, man. Power to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's why I hate saying no to them because, uh, because I know how damn annoying it is. What I'm going to do next is the worst, is the worst fear of, of all podcast hosts is I'm going to text you in a couple of days and be like, Hey, can you cut this and cut that? I won't do that. <laughs> but that that's that's one. Or like, oh, I've, I, there's a lawsuit about this one thing. Can you not post the podcast that we just spent two hours on the other day? You just, like, you, yeah, just sure. you just pulled the curtain back. Everybody finally understands what this entire thing is like. But yeah, yeah, remember that part I talked shit on my boss? Yeah, uh, can you cut that? <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Right, exactly. You'd be just better off pulling the whole episode. So leave all of my shit talking, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, later. So there you are, Phil Guyman. If you haven't been watching the video series, you should definitely check it out. Um, and and a lot of fun stuff he's doing. You know, I, I I don't know how many cycling podcasts you listen to out there. Hopefully, you keep listening to this one. But but Phil's got a great one. He's also set up and, and dialed in too. Nothing like hearing a guy who's who's living and breathing the cycling experience. He's not. You know, it's not about necessarily always going out and racing and and doing that type of stuff it's about the joy of being out there and 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 living i'm gonna say it the pack filler lifestyle and so it was great to have phil on the show you guys if you haven't set up your goals for the race season send me some i i need to figure out some target events to do through this year i don't know if i'm going to be a hardcore roadie or mountain bike racer i usually try to pick you know, some cool events throughout the year that are fun, that are challenging. I'm, uh, I'm USA cycling all dialed in and registered. So I will be, will be standing on some start lines at some USA cycling events this year. Give me some ideas of ones you think would be, think would be great. I, uh, I definitely want to do some, some of these gravel events, get out there and, and do some of that stuff. If you've seen me, you know, my forte is not necessarily climbing, but screw it. If you, if you got an idea, dirty cans, I know, uh, I probably won't get to that just because that's, I think that's a, a little too above my level just yet, you know? I did Leadville a couple of years ago. That was that was a great mountain bike event. I would I would recommend that one if you could get into that. I think the lottery's closed, but uh, a great event. So I, I, you know, if you got any out there, think of some. Throw them my direction, Patrick at Backfiller dot com, or through Facebook, or through Twitter, or through shit the website itself. Right? Yeah. You guys, I guess that's it. I guess that's another show. I got my. Uh, I just if you haven't been hearing it in the background, I got my most recent batch of beer that I brewed over the holidays going on behind me. I'm trying to think what it is. It is a, it's an IPA and I'm, I can't even remember the, the name of the recipe that I found. It was, it was, but it, hopefully, hopefully it'll be delicious. I don't know why I'm talking about beer on a cycling podcast. It's because the fermenter's bubbling up behind me in my ears. So I can't wait. I'm about two weeks out from that bad boy being ready to consume and make me fatter. That's it. I'm going to shut up. We'll catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.